reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolation he has brought on earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks bows and shatters spears. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nation. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, thank you, Sol, for reading that psalm that I'm going to be speaking on today. But um, let me just say good morning. King's Church, hi, welcome, good morning, and happy Mother's Day to all those mums out there. Um, happy Mother's Day, mum, hope you're watching. And, um, you know, this is, this is all a little bit strange. Do you know what, we were going to be having donuts and cookies. That was our plan for having Mother's Day gathering today. So hopefully, obviously that's not possible now, hopefully you've got something nice in your house that you can, that you can celebrate with. But this is all a bit strange, isn't it? It's all takes a bit of getting used to for me it's a bit strange speaking to a camera speaking to an empty room but it's also actually kind of amazing it's kind of great that I'm actually speaking to hundreds of people at the same time you know modern technology certainly has its drawbacks but I'm really very grateful to be living through this crisis at this particular time when we have the means of remaining connected in this way through worshipping together through hearing the word of God together through praising through responding praying through our virtual small groups that rich was just talking about and just through having phone and text and social media uh, contact with one another nothing nothing can replace meeting in person and maybe going through this time where that's been taken away from us maybe that will remind us of just the importance of meeting together But praise God for all the tools that we have at our disposal to remain as connected as we possibly can. And as Rich said, massive thanks to our team, to our staff team, to uh, our volunteers, to our tech team for pulling all this together, uh, adapting so quickly to a very quickly changing circumstances. And I'd echo Rich's thanks also to our small group leaders. You are amazing. Uh, those leaders who are already leading groups, the new leaders who have stepped up very quickly to lead new groups and you've already been on it, contacting your people, bringing everybody together, uh, making everybody feel included. An amazing job. And I also just want to thank you, all of you who have sent encouragements by email already and and you've told us that you're you're praying for us. Um, It's so encouraging. I was sitting in my office just a couple of days ago reading through some of those emails and I I was really moved uh, by the emails, by what you were saying, by your, by your support. And really, I, I just feel really privileged to lead such a great church. And so I just want to say thank you, church, for how you've been responding, how you've been adapting in some really, really challenging and trying circumstances. 
Now, I don't know if you've noticed the irony uh, that we've been doing this Breathe In, Breathe Out series for the last few weeks as a church. Uh, and that series is really all about finding time to stop and uh, bring new uh, cycles in our life, good rhythms in our life, life-giving, healthy rhythms in our life. Well, you know, maybe this is kind of an enforced stop in our life. It's an enforced disruption to our lives, lives being turned upside down. And maybe it's a chance for us to reevaluate our lives, reevaluate how we use our time and what we focus our life on. And if you've missed any of the series at all, all the videos are on the website, on the podcast's page. We've got one more week of that series still to run, and we'll be doing that next week. But this week was always going to be a break in the series anyway, because we were due to have Michael Fletcher from the States come to speak to us, and that obviously became impossible. So this is a great opportunity for me to speak to you, the church, um, but I'm also aware that, of course, there are many people watching now who are not part of the church, this church or maybe any church at all. And um, I want you to know you are so welcome here among us. You're so welcome. The church is a body of people. It's a community of people. It's not a building. It's not a location. And I hope and trust that we can be community for you uh, during this time and, and actually even beyond this time when we get out the other side of this time and my invitation to you would be to get connected as much as you want to as much as you feel comfortable to do so uh you know do join a small group you'd be perfectly welcome to do that as well to get involved in a virtual small group and i would say to you as well do keep listening right through to the end of this message and into the response because while uh, this message is primarily aimed at the church it's primarily aimed at those who are followers of Jesus who have an active faith in Jesus Christ. My hope is that if that's not you, that as you listen uh, today, that God will be working in your heart. And I want to give you an opportunity to, to just see what following Christ, what faith in Christ really looks like, what that is, and to experience that and encounter that for yourself today and become part of this amazing and diverse church family. These are certainly very strange times that we are living through. And actually, let's be very real here. For some, it goes beyond being strange. For some, this is a time of great anxiety. It's a time of great fear. It's a time of confusion, disorientation, as you face different challenges and circumstances in your life. Now, it might be health concerns, either because you're unwell or because you're in the at-risk category. Or it might be that you're facing uncertainty with your job or even risk losing your job and the loss of income that will come with that and the worry that comes with that. It might be that you're in isolation right now and you're just battling against depression and mental health issues because of that. Or it might be that you were at school or university and you were due to take some really important exams and now that's all been thrown up in the air and life has just become very, very uncertain for many, many of us. And you know, I am going to talk about how we are to respond as God's people. I'm going to be using Psalm 46 that we just heard read out as the basis of that. I'm going to be talking about how we respond as the people of God to respond with faith and not fear. But, but I don't want anybody to misunderstand or think that faith means pretending. Pretending that fear and anxiety are not actually there. That, you know, we just do that British thing of suppressing those emotions, sweep them under the carpet, pretend that everything's okay, crack a few jokes. 
and think that everything's good. Well, it's not good. It's not good. And that's not healthy. It's not honest. And it's not all we see in the Bible either, particularly in the Psalms. Time and time again, throughout the Psalms, we, we, we read Psalms where the writer is being utterly honest, completely honest, brutally honest with God about how they are feeling at that particular time, whether they're feeling afraid or abandoned, abandoned by God, or overwhelmed or in pain. They express it to God. They, they, they tell him exactly how they're feeling. They get it off their chest to God. And then we see God bring a change and a transformation, not necessarily in the circumstances themselves, but in how we see those circumstances, how the psalmist sees those circumstances. It cha- he changes our perspective on circumstances. And so this is not about pretending. It's about, if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling anxiety, it's about pouring out your heart to God, expressing all of that to God, getting it all off your chest to God, but then letting him move in you, letting him speak, giving him time and space to move and speak to you. So please don't hear anything I say today as an attempt to to somehow minimise this crisis or the impact that this crisis is having on people's lives. But equally, we... As God's people, particularly as God's people, we must not let fear have the final word. We must not let fear have the final say in our lives. Because you know what? This is not new. We have been here before. Throughout history, we've been here before in various different circumstances. Whether it's caused by war or whether it's caused by disease or famine or, or, or plagues, we've been here before. And we've been here before in times where we're a lot less well equipped to deal with it. I mean, certainly we see a crisis unfolding and being described here in Psalm 46. I mean, this is some 3,000 years ago. This is not a new thing. Crises in the world are not new. In this psalm, we don't know exactly what the situation is, what the threat being faced is, but it's described like this. So in verse 2, the psalmist says, Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the the mountains quake with their surging and then verse 6 says nations are in uproar kingdoms fall I mean there's a lot of poetic language going on here mountains falling into the sea the waters foaming the mountains quaking there's poetic language here but what it's communicating is that something pretty terrible and pretty cataclysmic is about to happen or they're going through right now. They're facing a significant and severe threat on a large scale. They're facing calamity, where the world, as they know it, seems to be being turned upside down. That's 3,000 years ago. This is not a new thing. Crises are not new. Let me quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, who was writing in 1948. This is quite a long quote, so, so, so bear with me on this and just follow it through. He's writing in 1948 about the atomic threat that the world was facing, that the people were very scared by. And as I read this quote, where he talks about the atomic bomb, maybe just think coronavirus, insert coronavirus in that space. This is what C.S. Lewis says. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. 
Or as he would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anaesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb... Well, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. This situation need not dominate our minds. Again, that is not about minimising what we are facing and just saying carry on regardless and just ignoring what is happening. It's not saying that at all. This is about having a healthy perspective, a healthy perspective on this situation to not lose our humanity by fighting over toilet rolls and hand sanitizer, and to not let this dominate who we are. Don't let this fear dominate who we are, but to let who we are as the people of God, as people made in God's image, as followers of Jesus, to let who we are dominate the situation and dominate these circumstances. Crises are not new. This is not a new thing. There is always a crisis going on somewhere in the world, whether that's at a personal level or at a national level or even at a global level, just like we're facing right now. The question is this. Where do you put your faith in the midst of a crisis? Where do you put your faith in these times? And the psalmist is absolutely clear. His faith in the face of calamity is 100% in God. He starts the psalm in verse 1 by saying, God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble, and therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way, and he goes on into that description of what they are facing. But then having painted a picture of this calamity that they are facing, this situation they're facing, he turns again to focus on the living God. Having stated his faith right in the first verse, he comes back again to focus on God from verse 4. He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. He's referring to Jerusalem. The city of God, the place where the temple is, which for the Jews is highly significant. God is within her. In Jerusalem, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. 
Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What is the writer of this psalm doing? He is choosing, in the face of the worst possible circumstances, he is choosing faith and hope rather than fear and panic and hopelessness. He is clearly in a terrifying situation. It appears that Jerusalem is under attack and we know that the various empires that rose up around Israel throughout history, the people like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they were not known for being kind to the people they were attacking. They were brutal. It was gruesome the way they treated people. This must feel like an existential crisis for them. It's truly terrifying, incredibly frightening for them. How then, how can the psalmist choose faith and confidence and not fear? In such circumstances, how can he do that? Well, he does it by choosing to focus on the promises of God. He acknowledges what the situation is. He's not pretending it's not happening. He's not ignoring it. He acknowledges this situation is what it is. And it is a serious, serious situation they're facing. But then he chooses to remind himself of the promises that God has made to his people, Israel, all down through the generations. God has said That he is our refuge. God has said he is our fortress. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. This is the dwelling place of God. He is with us. He will save us. This city will not fall. He is examining his foundations. He's having a look at where is his trust. Where is his confidence? What are his foundations? What is his life built on? And he's finding that his foundations are strong. Because they're based not on himself, they're based not on the things of this world, but they are based on the promises and the strength of God. How about you? How are your foundations? What do you build your life on? You know, there is nothing like a crisis for exposing the foundations of your life. Jesus told a very well-known parable about a house that was built on rock and a house that was built on sand. And then when the storm came and the floods came, the first house, it stood firm. The second house fell. It collapsed. How are your foundations? What is your life built on? Is your life built on a foundation of rock that is unshakable? Or is it built on a foundation of sand? Well, it does a job when everything is calm and peaceful. But when, it, when the storms come, it gives way. And your life collapses around you. What is your life built on? Life circumstances like the ones we're going through right now. They provide a good test of your foundations. A good test of what your life is built upon. We've had two funerals in our church in in recent months. Two amazing godly ladies. um, Janet White and Julia Pike. And in both of these ladies, there was a strength, but there was also this quietness and humility in the way they went about everything in their life. But the way they faced illness, the way they faced death, it was like a lion. It was with incredible courage, wonderful courage. Why? Because their confidence and their hope was not in clinging on to this life and the things of this life. Their hope was in Jesus. 
and in him alone. And that because of what he had done, what he had achieved through his death and through his resurrection, for them, dying was not the end. It was just a glorious beginning. And so they faced death with extraordinary courage. They faced it with extraordinary confidence. Their lives were built on the solid rock of Christ. Is yours. What is your life built on? Because anything else, any other foundation other than Jesus, it's just sand. It's just sand. Whether your life is built on your health or on your family or on your career or relationships or being successful or being wealthy or anything else you might be building your life on. These are all good things, but they cannot hold the weight of your life. They will all let you down in the end. They're all temporary things that will not last. They will let you down. Only God is eternal. And only God can possibly support the weight, the sheer weight of your life. Anything else. It's just building your life on the sand. Did Janet and Julia have moments in their life of fear and sadness? Did they have moments during their illness of sadness and and anxiety and fear? I'm sure they did. I'm absolutely sure they did because faith is both a gift from God, but faith is also a decision. Janet and Julia, they both knew what their life was built on. They knew who their life was built on. They knew where they were going, but there would have been several times along the way when they would have had to choose to remind themselves of that, when fear and anxiety tried to creep in. The psalmist in Psalm 46, he made a conscious decision to turn to God To remind himself of God's promises to Israel. To make sure that he was built on the right foundations. He was standing on strong and solid foundations. If you are a follower of Jesus, your foundations are far stronger. Your foundations are far firmer than his foundations. Because we live this side of the cross and the resurrection. We have seen, we have encountered the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our day. He has, as it says in Psalm 40, he has lifted you out of the slimy pit. He's lifted you out of the mud, out of the mire. And he has set your feet on a rock and he has given you a firm place to stand. That's what he's done for us. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're feeling fearful and you're feeling anxious, it's okay. He doesn't mean for you to stay fearful and anxious though. Acknowledge what you're feeling. Pour it out to him. Pour out your heart to God. Express everything you're feeling. Tell him about all your fears. Tell him about all your anxieties. Tell him all of it. He knows all of it anyway. But he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to tell him. And then let him change you. Then take time to remind yourself of who he is. Of what he has done. And of his promises to you. God has made many, many promises to you. For example, when Jesus says to his disciples and to us in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, this peace is a gift the world cannot possibly give to you. This peace, you will not find this peace in the world and so do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You know, God isn't taken by surprise by this. He's not, he's not looking around thinking, where on earth did that come from? He's not taken by surprise. And our God is good. He is faithful. He is sovereign. He won't leave you. He will never forsake you. As it says in Romans, he works all things for the good of those who love him. Even when we can't see or we don't know 
what that good is. 2 Timothy 1 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Other things the Bible tells us. We live by faith and not by sight. We will not be overcome by evil. We will overcome evil with good. We will not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The Lord is our helper. We will not be afraid. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself says just before raising Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We don't even have to be afraid of death, the ultimate enemy. We don't have to be afraid. We live by faith and not by fear. The people of God live by faith, not by fear. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. These are the promises of God to you if you follow him. That's the solid ground. That is the truth. That is the foundation that keeps us secure in this uncertain world. And so we need to remind ourselves of that. Remind ourselves of what is true. Take time to focus on Jesus. Take time to focus on the truth. To focus on his promises. Or as it says in verse 10 of Psalm 46, to take time to be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. There's an invitation from God to you into his peace. To everybody, he invites you to know his peace. There's something I want us to do right now before I, before I carry on into the, the final part of this talk. I want us all to say, declare the Apostles' Creed together. Now those of you who are here at King's uh, last summer, in the summer term, you'll remember that we did a whole series on the Apostles' Creed. This ancient statement of faith that outlines the fundamentals of the Christian faith, the hope that we have, the foundation we stand on. So wherever you are right now, let's stand together, knowing that you're joining with hundreds of others right at this moment. We stand together and we're going to declare this creed together. I will just put in the caveat that we included every time we spoke on this last summer, and that is that where the word Catholic appears in this statement, in this creed, it doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It means universal. It's the universal church, the holy Catholic church, okay? So let's stand together. Let's declare this creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried he descended to the dead on the third day he rose again he ascended into heaven he is seated at the right hand of the father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy catholic church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen it's an amazing statement and you can listen to the sermons that we did on that from last summer on, on the podcast page of our website just to unpack that glorious statement. That is a great foundation 
on which we stand. We need to constantly remind ourselves of it. We need to constantly remind ourselves of what is true, of what is certain, of what is sure, what is firm, what is solid in this world that is shaking right now and is filled with uncertainty. I'm going to finish by looking at the last part of this psalm, Psalm 46. I'm going to read verses 8 to 11. Come and see. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The invitation that the psalmist makes to the people here is to come and see. Come and see the the works of God. Come and see the wonders of God. And that must be our focus as a church too. To invite people, to invite the people around us, the people in our lives, to come and see the wonders of God, to come and see the glory of God, for the church to shine with the light of Jesus in this darkness that surrounds us, this dark world that we find ourselves in, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And here's a, here's a few, I'm going to give you three very quick ways that we can do that. First is by choosing not to be selfish, but to be sacrificial. Not selfish, but sacrificially generous. We are not to be people who hoard supplies for ourselves. We're not to be people who fight over the last pack of toilet rolls or pasta. You know, what did they do in the early church when they were facing extreme persecution? They were losing their lives for the faith. Well, it tells us in Acts 2 that the believers, they sold property. They sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. They sold their property and their possessions to give to those in need. We are the body of Christ. We are the people of God We have been blessed, mightily blessed, in order to be a blessing to others. We are to put others ahead of ourselves. And so if we become aware of someone who needs toilet rolls, we give them toilet rolls. If we know about someone who needs food, we give them some food. And we put our trust in God to provide for our needs. We choose to not be selfish, but sacrificially generous. Second thing is we look out for and we help the most vulnerable, both inside and outside the church. We put that need above our own. Romans 15 gives us a very clear instruction that the strong should look after the weak. So how are you going to do that? How are you doing that? How are your small groups going to do that? What is God asking you to do? What's he saying to you? What opportunities is he laying at your door? What is he laying at your feet? Opportunities to show the love of Jesus to the world around you, to show the gospel and the love of God to those around you. And then the third thing is just simply by living, as I've already described, living as people of faith, not fear. People of hope and peace and calm and joy, supernatural hope, supernatural peace during this unsettled and anxious time. People who have a hope that goes way beyond this world, a sure and certain hope, a solid hope, an eternal hope. That is how we witness to people about Jesus, by letting them see Jesus in your life. By letting them see who he is to you, what he has done in you. 
That is how we shine like a light in the darkness. You know, Jesus tells you that you are the light of the world. And he says, you know, that light is not to be hidden. He tells us, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are to choose to not be selfish, but be sacrificially generous. We look out for and we help the most vulnerable. And we live as people of faith and not fear. People of hope and not anxiety. And then you need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Because people will see that hope in you if you live like this. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have. That you are ready to share your story of how God, through Jesus, has intervened in your life. And brought you this new life and this hope and this peace. We need to show that to the world. Why? Because this world has forgotten who God is. We live in a world that has forgotten about God. That has abandoned God. And they need to be reminded. Let me read this quote from J. John, who is uh, a Christian leader. He says, Much has been made in recent years of the wartime slogan, keep calm and carry on. And much is being made at the moment of how, with fear-driven thefts of hand disinfectant and the panicked hoarding of toilet rolls, how that spirit has gone. But what few observers have had the courage or the insight to say is that that attitude of keeping calm in a crisis, that grew out of a culture that had been shaped for nearly 500 years by the truth of the Bible. There, we read very little about staying calm, but a lot about standing firm. St. Paul, in particular, constantly commands it. It's a good command. We, who have put our faith in Christ, the rock, have an important role to play in these dark and troubled days. We should be those who stand firm as fixed and unshakable points amid a chaotic sea of fearfulness. This world has abandoned God. This world has cast aside God and the truth of his word. This world has forgotten who God is. And at a time of great fear and at a time of darkness, we, as the church, standing together, We have the responsibility to show them who God is, to show them what he's like, to be the calm, to be the peace, to be the light in the storm. We are living in difficult times. We are living in challenging times. I want to finish with this, take encouragement from what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. It's like sand. But what is unseen is eternal. That is the rock on which we stand.
We live by faith and not by fear. And we are to shine with the light of Jesus, with the light of the gospel and offer the hope that he offers to this dark world. And I'm going to offer that hope to some of you in just a few minutes. But what I'd like us to do first is just take some time. Just some time to reflect, some time to pray, time to to be still. Know that he is God. What is God saying to you right now? Just where you are, close your eyes, get quiet, focus in on God. What does he want to say to you right now? What is he trying to say to you now? Let's just have a few moments and let God speak. if you've been watching and listening to this and and you know that this faith, this hope, this peace that I've been talking about is something that you want and that you don't have at the moment. If you know that there is a deep longing for something more in your life, for something that this world cannot offer you. Maybe you've tried lots of different things to fill that gap, to, to find the fulfillment you've been looking for. Money, experiences, relationships, success. But none of them deliver. None of them can fill the gap, can fill the fulfillment that you need. It's because you are longing. You are longing for something that this world cannot offer. The good news for you and the good news for all of us is that there is a God who is so much bigger than this world. So much bigger than this world. And yet he loves this world so much that he sent his one and only son becoming one of us in the person of Jesus, getting up close and personal, getting right into our mess, entering into our mess. Jesus, the sinless, perfect Son of God, perfect in every way, who willingly gave his life on the cross for me and for you, the perfect and eternal sacrifice for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, for the sin of the whole world. God raised him from the dead so that you can be raised to life with him, so that you can know new life. God raised him from the dead so that anyone who calls on his name can be saved. It includes you. It includes you. When you call on the name of Jesus, he hears your prayer. He forgives all your sins. He redeems your life from the pit for eternity and he frees you to live the life that is truly life starting right now. And if that is you, if you want new life, 
If you want that peace that surpasses all understanding, if you want that hope that goes way beyond the worst crisis, if you're saying, look, I don't want to be like this world anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to live in a different way. I want to live with hope. I want the more that Jesus offers. I want the abundance he offers. I want his love. I want the assurance that I am significant to God, that my life means something, that I count for something, and that I am right with God, that I have peace with God. If that's you, then you need to make a decision. And you can make a decision right now to turn away from sin, to turn away from walking away from God and turn in a different direction and start walking towards God. It's what the Bible calls repentance. And so if that is you, I'm going to invite you right now to respond to Jesus. Just where you are in your home, to respond to him. Maybe raise your hands just as a sign to him, a physical gesture that you're saying, Jesus, Jesus, I want everything you have for me. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again to give me new life. I want that new life you offer. I want everything you have for me. Or maybe it's kneeling just to to get on your knees and kneel before him. Just do something physically to, to respond to Jesus, to say to him, I want what you have for me. I want you in my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Let's respond to him now. And then pray this prayer with me. The words are on the screen. Pray this prayer with me. Say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive my sins. Jesus, save me. Save me and make me new. Thank you that you died on the cross to bring me freedom. Thank you that you rose from the dead to give me new life. Fill me with your spirit so that I can serve you and I can follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. I submit it to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your gift of new life. Amen. Amen. Now, if you've responded to that and you've prayed that prayer and you meant it, well done. Well done. And I want you to know that because you've done that, there is a massive celebration going on in heaven right now for you, because of you, because of what you have just done. And we celebrate as well. Your life has changed forever. We'd love the opportunity to connect with you and to lead you along the path, to lead you along the next steps. And Rich will let you know about those next steps in a few minutes uh, at the end of this meeting. But what we're going to do now is we're going to worship God together. We're going to lift his name high. We're going to praise him. So as I finish church, be blessed. Be mightily blessed. Be strong. Be be full of peace. Be full of joy. Let's keep in touch. Let's keep as connected as we possibly can. Live by faith and not by fear. Let's be the light of Jesus in this dark world. Let's worship God.